Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. And I don't think a lot of people understand is that by law, we are required to compete against the other healthcare systems. I, I know sometimes people don't like that, but the same antitrust laws apply to hospitals and healthcare systems that apply to any other business. Right. So we're not allowed to collude together to increase our profits or that type of thing. So we actually have to compete. At the same time, though, we'll collaborate when we need to collaborate for the good of a patient. The one thing I've always been very proud of healthcare is that when there's a, a crisis in a community, a disaster, a major shooting, you know, something like that, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, whatever their healthcare system it is, we will work together to uh, take care of that patient. And then we'll find uh, compete again afterwards. everyone and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Chris Van Gorder, CEO of Scripps Health. Chris discusses his transition from police officer to becoming a leader at Scripps Health where he served for nearly 20 years. Chris discusses how Scripps is not just a hospital organization, but also serves in ambulatory care and charity care. Chris will also discuss a little bit about value-based care, Scripps' involvement with ACOs and being self-insured, and Scripps' ability to not just compete with other healthcare organizations, but collaborate as well. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and if you do, feel free to leave a review where you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. something about you that might surprise the audience, maybe something uh, your colleagues may not even know about you. Well, I doubt there's much that my colleagues don't know about me, but okay. um, what a lot of people may not know is, is the fact that I was a police officer uh, years ago, injured in the line of duty, the hospital that took care of me ultimately hired me, and that's how I ended up in healthcare and healthcare administration. And today I volunteer with the San Diego County Sheriff's Department, and I hold now the rank of assistant sheriff, so I'm responsible for uh, the search and rescue team and for the law enforcement reserves. Wow. That's pretty neat. And we were talking off the air uh, about a recent helicopter experience or semi-recent helicopter experience. Yeah, it's not all that recent, but I, I have had a chance to work with the uh, San Diego uh, Fire Department. And uh, they had me uh, uh, rappelling out of uh, Copter One uh, some time ago. So uh, quite an experience and what a great group of people to work with. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. So you've been with Scripps for quite a while and have become a pillar in the community. So can you tell us a little bit about your time at Scripps? What is maybe what has kept you here for 20 years? Well, Scripps is a, is a great organization. I, I'm in my 20th year at Scripps. And, and, you know, the average tenure for a healthcare CEO these days is about three to four years. Right. So I'm well on the, uh, on the extreme end of that. But Scripps, again, is a, is a wonderful legacy. Um, I often describe ourselves as a non-sectarian Catholic healthcare system. Half of our system is Catholic because we acquired Mercy Hospital about uh, 30 years ago, okay. and so and the other half is not. So it's an interesting organization, and you know we're in San Diego, yeah. so San Diego is a great place to uh, you know to get healthcare and to deliver healthcare. So um, there's really no better place for me to go. Awesome, Chris. So I recently read parts of your book here, the Frontline Leader that I have here with me today. And there's a couple things that stood out to me. One of it was uh, getting to know your people. 
So one of the stories in the book was about the EVS team and how you were actually being invited to some of their events. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is back when I was a, a vice president at Anaheim Memorial Hospital up in Orange County. And, you know, the, the support service people in healthcare work so hard, and they're not the, pa- the people to get the letters from the patients. And she's right. usually thanking their doctors and nurses, et cetera. And, so, and since I was responsible for that group, I wanted to spend a lot of time with them. And, and I did. I mean, literally, we almost had contests where I would go out and try to find some dirt somewhere. And, uh, you know, and they were so proud that, you know, I'd go around literally with a white glove and I couldn't find any dirt. And to be honest with you, if I did, I didn't show them. Yeah. Because the whole idea wasn't for me to catch them doing something wrong. The, the whole idea was to recognize and reward them. And one day I get a phone call from them. They're asking me to come on down to, uh, to meet with them. And I did. I went down to the basement where their offices were, and the entire EBS team uh, had gathered. And they gave me a chief's hat, an Indian chief's hat that they made. Actually, it's uh, sitting on the top of my uh, my credenza over there. Okay. And uh, they had, you know, put feathers in it and had beads and everything, and they wanted to give it to their chief. And they said nobody had ever spent any time with them from the, from the top leadership, and uh, they just wanted to recognize that. I I have been so touched by that and many other events I've had with, you know, employees at, at Scripps and at Anaheim and the other places I've been, that, that I still keep that Indian headdress uh, on top of my desk, and I've always had it available ever since that time. Awesome. Well, uh, I may call you Chief, I guess, here in the future. <laughs> Chief Chris, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. So you mentioned Anaheim. I know you've worked at some other uh, organizations. You mentioned earlier you were a police officer. So tell us about the transition from police officer to healthcare? It was difficult for me to transition. I, I was actually injured in the line of duty uh, last about 15 minutes before the end of watch, uh, February, long time ago now. There was a 415, a family dispute, where a lady had locked herself in her car with her infant child, uh, threatening to ram the police if they, uh, you know, if they were, her husband called them. I got there first. It was my call. I'm not going to go through the whole story because it's too long, but I positioned myself correctly. The backup unit came up. Sure enough, she took off, tried to ram him. I ordered him uh, to go in pursuit because uh, her husband, who was still with me, was saying that she was stealing her, his baby, yeah. and he was worried about the safety for, of, his, of his child. Uh, I ran back to my unit. I paralleled the pursuit, which means I was a block away. Okay. Um, she ended up coming around uh, straight at me and hit me head on at about oh, wow. 60 miles an hour. So uh, they peeled me out of the car and I was in and out of hospitals for the next year. And as a result of the injuries I sustained, the city made a decision to retire me. And it was a very, very difficult transition for me. I, I, you know, my, I was young still. Uh, my career was gone. Um, I you know, had a little bit of rehab and basically unemployed. And, and at the time, I even thought maybe unemployable. Um, but I ended up uh, going to a hospital that took care of me. Um, they had a department head position available. Uh, I applied for the job. Um, the chief operating officer gave me that chance, that opportunity, and I ended up finding a brand new career. Um, but that transition was, was challenging, and which is why many, you know, a few decades later when I came to San Diego, uh, I had the opportunity to join the sheriff's department and did. Uh, as a result of get, or, you know, what I really want to do is get a little bit of that law enforcement you know, back again, and yeah. I've been able to do that. So I've been very, very blessed and very, very lucky. Awesome, awesome. So now you're here with Scripps, and tell us briefly, what is Scripps? Scripps is a $3 billion healthcare system, so it's about $7 million a day that goes in and out of this organization from a financial perspective, but we take care of literally hundreds of thousands of patients. Um, we have uh, four licensed hospitals on five campuses, 
Uh, as I said, we're uh, half of our system uh, from a hospital perspective is Catholic and follow the Catholic health care directives. The other half is not. Um, we now have around 30 ambulatory sites around the community. We have relationships with about uh, 3,000 physicians, and we have 15,000 employees, and we have lots of partnerships, our latest being uh, Scripps MD Anderson, okay. the MD Anderson uh, in Houston, and uh, we are partnering with a company called Acadia to build a 120-bed mental health facility here in San Diego. Oh, great. Uh, down in Chula Vista. So uh, we're an integrated healthcare delivery system, which means that we are tightly integrated with our physicians, ambulatory and inpatient care, and other healthcare modalities, all designed to deliver healthcare to our community. Awesome. So you mentioned Acadia. I think for most of our listeners, we're all aware that mental health services are pretty limited in our country. Even in cities like San Diego or the county of San Diego, where uh, there's lots of resources, we have limited mental health resources. Can you tell us a little bit about the Acadia relationship and the inspiration behind that? I can. We have an inpatient behavioral health unit at uh, Scripps Mercy Hospital, 36 okay. beds. And as a result of state law, it's actually Senate Bill 1953, SB 1953, um, all of our hospitals, for the most part, have to be rebuilt by the year 2030 to meet uh, not only the building standards so that they won't fall down, uh, but by 2030, that they would be fully operational after a major earthquake. Okay, um, that's very difficult in in California. It, it costs roughly three to four million dollars a bed to build a tertiary hospital in California. Almost wow. three times more expensive than any other state okay. because of our regulations, the seismic rules, etc. Okay. We lose uh, and have been losing money taking care of our patients in the inpatient setting on the behavioral health side for years, losing somewhere around $4 million a year. Wow. You replace your hospital at $4 million a bed, those losses just grow exponentially. Yeah. And so it really is almost impossible for us to replace those inpatient beds. Okay. But as you noted, it's one of the largest unmet health care needs in our community, and we didn't want to just you know rebuild a hospital without inpatient behavioral health. So we found Acadia, which uh, is a for-profit mental health delivery system, basically. It has over 500 facilities, okay. and they were willing to partner with us. And instead of the 36 beds, we're actually going to replace those 36 beds with 120 beds down in Chula Vista with at least 36 beds dedicated to Scripps Health. So we'll take care of the underserved Medicaid patients or Medi-Cal in California. Yeah. Um, they have agreed to allow us to do that and to have some control over the admission process, selection of the chief executive, chief medical officer, and other things. So we gain operational control. Control. We triple the number of beds in this community. We're still able to carry on our mission of being able to take care of the, the, of the poor. And we only have to put in 20% of the cost. Acadia puts in 80% of the cost. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, the, the response we've received from everybody, from our employees, our physicians, and the community has been nothing but positive. There's folks that are close to me that have needed those type of services before. So touches close to me. And uh, as I prepared for the show, I apologize. I did not realize you had that relationship with Acadia and I'm, I'm excited about it. Good. So thanks for sharing that. The Affordable Care Act. Uh, in your book, you touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us about how the Affordable Care Act has either changed Scripps or how Scripps has adjusted its plans based on the Affordable Care Act from beginning to where we are today? We are, are supportive of the Affordable Care Act. Clearly, we'd like to see uh, universal coverage, meaning that everybody has some form of health care insurance so they have access to the care that they need. Uh, today, uh, everybody does, but it's through the emergency department. Um, yeah. By law, we are required to take care of everybody, at least stabilize them. Uh, there is no county hospital in San Diego, so any patient that comes to us, we're going to be responsible for caring for them all the way throughout their stay. 
Um, so, you know, the idea of the Affordable Care Act was to expand uh, Medicaid, Medi-Cal in California, uh, and to expand even private coverage. And we were successful doing that, reducing the number of uninsured. So completely supportive of that. The negative side, of course, is that somebody has to pay for that. Right. And President Obama negotiated with the American Hospital Association, and uh, the AHA agreed to, I think, somewhere around $55 billion in reductions in reimbursement uh, over a 10-year period of time. And so what we've seen is, is an expansion of coverage, but a reduction in revenue yeah. uh, as a result of doing that. And that creates obvious challenges for us. Um, Healthcare uh, continues to get more expensive. Um, there isn't a vendor that works with us that uh, is willing to give us charity care, as it were, and give us the, their products for free. Right. And our employees expect and deserve uh, pay raises every year. And so we're seeing increases in the amount of uh, money we spend to provide care while we're seeing reductions in reimbursement at the same time. So all for positive reasons. Um, I do think healthcare is too expensive in this country. All of us need to do everything we possibly can to reduce the cost of health care, but it creates challenges on the delivery side, and we're dealing with those challenges every day. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about the vendors uh, who aren't providing you know, all of their services for free and the, the cost of care going up while the reimbursement is going down below. Uh, re- referencing your book, there's different revenue streams for a, a Scripps health system, um, one of it being operations, uh, I guess is what you'd call it, for patient care. Another one is bonds, right. which I found was interesting. Uh, for purposes of this show, I won't go into detail on the bonds, but a good point on in the book. I encourage you folks uh, to read that, but also the foundation. So tell us about the foundation and how that supports Scripps system. Scripps was founded by a gift. It was oh. Ellen Branding Scripps in 1924 that made a quarter of a million dollar gift, okay. which was a huge donation in those years, to found the Scripps Metabolic Clinic, the Scripps Clinic of today, and the first hospital, uh, Scripps Hospital, which was literally the buildings are still down on Prospect uh, here in San Diego. They're now, uh, those are condominiums. Okay. And of course, she made lots of other gifts to the community. But uh, that's what founded Scripps in 1924. Since that time, as a tax-exempt organization, we've received literally you know, tens of millions and over the time, probably hundreds of millions of dollars of philanthropy from this community. Uh, and it's incredibly important that, that the community support organizations like us. Uh, uh, what a lot of people really don't understand is that from the revenue standpoint, and you brought that up, is we actually lose money from all of our government payers. They yeah. do not pay the total cost of care. They might pay the direct cost, but they don't pay the overhead cost. So we lose um, somewhere in the area of $100 million a year taking care of Medicare patients. Wow. We lose in the area of about $80 million a year taking care of Medi-Cal patients. Um, and we you know, have fewer patients, but we get paid even less from the county. So these days, um, the only um, payers that contribute to the overall bottom line is commercial payers. And uh, from the inpatient standpoint, we make money now a positive margin on about one-third of our patients. And we wow. lose money on two-thirds of our patients. So if it weren't for philanthropy, we would not be able to build the buildings that we're building today that we have to build because of state law. Yeah. And we wouldn't be able to exist without philanthropy. So those very generous donors uh, in recent years, um, the Anderson family, um, Conrad Prebus, um, and others have been just, I mean, vitally important to this organization. And, you know, as I often say, it's that gift that helps a patient that these donors will ever know, uh, but it's the greatest gift that they could have ever given. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Now, I think most of our audience know what a commercial payer is, but can you maybe in layman's term explain the difference between your government payers 
which would be here Medi-Cal, Medicare, Correct. and what a commercial insurance is. Yeah, the commercial insurance would be your your Blue Crosses, your Anthem Blue Cross, your Blue Shield, Cigna, uh, Scan, a variety of private uh, commercial insurance companies that we contract with to uh, receive reimbursement. And of course, we deliver patient care for that. And again, your government uh, payers would be Medicare, uh, Medi-Cal in California, or Medicaid nationally, um, and any county medical services or something like that. That So those are your government payers. And and uh, I understand it. That's using taxpayer money, but yeah. the government does not pay their cost of care. Got it. Well, Chris, uh, great information so far. We're going to take a short break. And we're going to jump back into it right off the break. Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. All right, folks, welcome back from the break. So earlier in the show, Chris touched on ambulatory care. So Chris, can you talk about what ambulatory care means to Scripps and the growth of ambulatory care with Scripps? Yeah, Scripps was really founded as a group of hospitals, actually one hospital, and then we acquired more hospitals over time. Uh, But most healthcare is delivered in a doctor's office, uh, and that would be normally what we would call ambulatory care. But it's expanding out even beyond that. Today, you can go into a minute clinic in a CVS pharmacy and receive, you know, care from a nurse practitioner. That's ambulatory care. Um, eventually here, uh, actually starting now, but it's going to grow in the future, you're going to be able to go on your device and be able to get a doctor's visit literally face-to-face with a physician uh, with that same physician being able to access your electronic health record information and you'll be able to have that visit from home. So that's ambulatory care and it is clearly growing and needs to grow because ambulatory care is far less expensive than expensive emergency room care and expensive inpatient care. And so we have been investing in, um, in certainly bricks and mortar and land to uh, build those offices, uh, building ambulatory surgery centers, for example. Um, I was present uh, when the first total hip was done in the United States. Uh, it was a very expensive, long-stay, hospital stay. Uh, and today, um, there are patients that are actually having their total hip done in an ambulatory surgery center and going home the same day. And so through technology improvements, medicine improvements, we're actually able to do things now in an ambulatory or outpatient basis, far less expensive with the same quality uh, that we did before. And that's where the growth in healthcare is going to be going forward. So you talked about technology with the hip replacement surgery example. Can you touch on technology within the script system and how improvements of, uh, where improvements of technology have been seen and where you see technology helping you guys in the future? Healthcare these days is very technology driven. Right. Um, if you were to go into our cardiac catheterization laboratories, the amount of high tech imaging equipment that we have in there now, um, all of that linked to computers uh, that you know have in, in some cases artificial intelligence built in to assist the physicians in, ter- in terms of making diagnosis or caring for somebody. So we are extraordinarily technology driven, uh, and a lot of people think of that, of course, in the operating rooms and imaging and you know that type of thing, but. Today, computers are starting to drive a lot of what we do. Uh, we are just installed what we call the Epic Electronic Health Record. Uh, literally, it's about $500 million over the course of around 10 years. Uh, so very, very expensive, but it connects all of our patient information together in, in one place. It gives our patients access to that information. And we now actually have, if you, if you were to go over to Sharp uh, or UCSD or Kaiser and get some care, we'll be able to access that care so you don't end up getting duplicate care if you were oh. to show up into our emergency room or something like that. So you're all on the same system. We are not on completely the same system, so okay. a few of us are, and, okay. but we have access into their information. They have access into ours, highly protected, so wow. only the 
the right people can see it. So an example, in our very first week of putting our Epic together at, at Green Hospital, we had a patient transferred from another healthcare system. And uh, we would have normally have duplicated about $1,600 worth of imaging testing that we didn't have to do at all because we had the images from that other facility. Awesome. Okay. So again, ways of, in this case, uh, reducing the patient, the radiation that the patient would have to go through, reducing the cost to them, and still having that information. Okay. So this is cool because you just named your competitors. Right. But you guys are collaborating. And I know this might happen a little bit outside San Diego as well, but I know that's been a struggle today as we record in our nation as competing health systems and hospitals to get this done, what you just referenced. Can you tell me how that happened? And is that relatively recent or? Well, the government actually wants us to do this. And right. so they've, they've enabled part of this. And through what we call meaningful use, they've actually helped fund the install of electronic health records. Oh, nice. Um, you know, what, I, what I, I don't think a lot of people understand is that by law, we are required to compete against the other healthcare systems. I, I know sometimes people don't like that, but the same antitrust laws apply to hospitals and healthcare systems that apply to any other business. Right. So we're not allowed to collude together to increase our profits or that type of thing. So we actually have to compete. At the same time, though, we'll collaborate when we need to collaborate for the good of a patient. The one thing I've always been very proud of healthcare is that when there's a, a crisis in a community, a disaster, a major shooting, you know, something like that, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, whatever their healthcare system it is, we will work together to uh, take care of that patient. And then we'll find uh, compete again afterwards. Yeah. Um, when we were in, um, after Hurricane Katrina, we took in our medical response team uh, to Houston. And the Methodist healthcare system had donated all the supplies in the convention center. There were other healthcare systems that had donated other things, not even knowing that if they'd ever get paid back. Yeah. But they were there to help take care of their community. And here in San Diego, Believe me, um, your healthcare systems will collaborate. You know, if it, if it, 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 when it matters to take care of the actual patient or this community, and then we'll compete as we need to do. Nice. So that's great. So the the sharing, if needed, uh, of information uh, has that happened in the twenty? Happens happens every day now. Okay. So every day there's information that is, in fact, uh, with the Epic system, if you got your care at a at a hospital in Virginia that's on Epic, we have direct access to that information. And they have access to patients here as well. So okay. again, tightly, tightly controlled for cybersecurity reasons. Yeah. Um, lots of rules around patient information and confidentiality, but we now have access to information we never had access before. And that is one of the positives of electronic health records. That's great. So, uh, Hospitals and medical groups. Um, I think a lot of the general public and even healthcare professionals, which uh, makes up the majority of our audience, don't necessarily understand exactly how they work hand in hand. So can you tell us a little bit about your affiliated medical groups and how you all work together? Yeah. In the state of California, we have the corporate practice of medicine laws. Yes. It means we cannot employ physicians to practice medicine in the state of California. Okay. So all of our physicians are actually independent from us. It creates some challenges. You know, a physician can order anything that they want, and we have to basically supply that to them. That, to be honest with you, can contribute to the expense of health care. At the same time, though, they're, they're critical to us. I mean, you, you don't have a hospital. My, my, my father-in-law was a physician years ago, and he said, Chris, no matter how good of an administrator you are, you will never admit a patient to your hospital because I'm not a physician, right? Right. So we need our doctors. And they form uh, in professional corporations. Uh, Scripps Clinic Medical Group, for example, is a uh, professional corporation. Or physicians can join independent practice associations called you know, IPAs. 
where that organization will contract for the independent physicians. So there's, you know, we have a number of different relationships, I think, with three or four IPAs, several medical groups, some small medical groups, some very large medical groups. Um, and they basically admit patients or refer to our organization. And there's lots of rules around that from the federal government standpoint. We try to be as integrated as we possibly can with those physicians. They are represented in each hospital by an organized medical staff with an elected chief of staff, uh, an elected medical executive committee. We work very closely with their representatives and their organizations to help meet physicians' needs. And those doctors, in turn, help make sure that the quality of care that we're delivering is exceptional. So it's a very complicated structure. It's yeah. the way we work together, but it's been working this way for, for generations and decades, and it works. Okay. So can you tell me about the risk that Scripps takes on? When someone says the hospital is at risk of this patient population, what does that mean exactly? And what you're now talking about is value-based reimbursement or Thank you. Um, you know, and, or managed care. And managed care historically has had uh, kind of a negative reputation. You know, we, you know, we used to have nighttime comedians making fun of managed care. The whole idea of being at risk, the government wants us to be more at risk for the cost of care and the quality of care. You know, the patients want a lower cost of care, which means, again, they would like us to be more financially at risk for that care. And so what's happened, you know, really started in the, you know, 70s and 80s with managed care, is that we signed contracts. In some cases, they're called full risk agreements, where uh, we get what's called a per member per month uh, reimbursement of some dollar amount. And, and in those relationships, we're responsible for all of the care of that patient wherever they need care. Um, so it may be if they, they need to go to a hospital in New York, we've been getting the per member per month payment. We're responsible for paying that bill. Um, so And then there's a variety of different structures less than that where you may be partially at risk. The government these days are talking about value-based care. Right. And what they want hospitals and doctors to be is more financially at risk for that care and to make sure that the government is paying for value received, not just for something that's being done to a patient. And so all of our hospitals and many of our physicians, probably most of our physicians now are in some form of value-based agreement, sometimes full risk, that goes to that capitation, the per member per month, or at partially at risk for that care. And again, creates new challenges for us from a financial perspective, uh, but that is the direction society is going and uh, and we're going as an organization. Very good. So who are some of your uh, medical group partners? I know you mentioned uh, you a certain number of them, but can you share about some of your, who's name, maybe name some of sure. your medical group partners? Um, certainly Scripps Clinic, Scripps Coastal. There are large, what we call integrated medical groups. In other words, uh, they're part of our, what we call the Scripps Medical Foundation. Okay. Um, so those are owned groups. Uh, the groups and the medical groups have a contract with us okay. to provide services. Then we have our independent practice associations, um, Scripps Mercy um, Physician Partners. We have Zymed Medical Groups. Okay. There's a number of, of IPAs. Um, Connect the Docs is an IPA oh. up in the Encinitas direction. Okay. So there's a number of different IPAs. And, uh, and then there's smaller groups, our, okay. our cardiovascular group that's part of our medical foundation. Um, now our physicians are organizing around Scripps MD Anderson. And so they're forming some groups to be able to deliver care in a manner in which MD Anderson delivers care. So, and again, we have dozens of relationships. Okay, great. And then I read a little bit uh, about the Scripps Accountable Care organization. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We do. Again, kind of driven by uh, this move to value. 
organizations can form accountable care organizations. Uh, in this case, the Scripps Accountable Care Organization uh, includes both our uh, Scripps Clinic, Scripps Coastal Physicians, and independent physicians. And we have a contract with the U.S. government called the Medicare Shared Savings Program, where in this case, the, the patients that get assigned to us, the patients don't even know it. Yeah. Um, so if a patient gets a majority of their care from a physician that's affiliated with the Scripps ACO, that patient is assigned to us. And now we're responsible for not just the cost of care, but what the government calls their total spend. Yeah. So even if the patient doesn't come to us, they go to Sharp or some other organization, we are being held accountable to the cost of that patient. And if we can, through a better management of their care, lower the cost of care, the accountable care organization can receive a financial bonus. Uh, if, on the other hand, that cost of care goes up, we can be financially penalized from it. And then there's a neutral zone in the, in the middle. Okay. The physicians benefit by a number of different ways. If they belong to what's called an advanced practice model, ours is an advanced practice model, they can get a 5% bonus on their Medicare reimbursement. Okay, nice. And those checks actually are just about ready to go out to all of our physicians by being part of the Scripps Accountable Care Organization. So a lot of them did well, it sounds like? The doctors get the 5% no matter how they perform. Oh, um, So just by participating in our accountable care organization, and if our accountable care organization is considered an APM, an advanced practice model by Medicare, yeah. those doctors get a 5% bonus on their reimbursement. Plus, we uh, they, some of their financial or their reporting requirements um, are done by us, and they don't have to do those kinds of reports. Okay. So there's big benefits for the physicians to be part of our ACO. Yeah. Um, and Scripps is in the neutral zone. So we aren't being penalized. We aren't being bonused yet, but we aren't being penalized. Okay. And then as part of our ACO, we also have a direct contract with Qualcomm. And hmm. uh, so we now we're working directly with Qualcomm to, um, again, improve quality and access for their employees ah. and lower the cost of care at the same time if we can. Okay. And so our ACO does that as well. Okay. And how many, if you mind me asking, do you know roughly how many employees Qualcomm Around has? Around 14,000, I think, uh, okay. last numbers of, of employees and family members are part of our, our uh, direct contract. Okay, great. And then I know scripts for your employees, you also have... And again, this is just for your employees, your own health plan, and you guys are self-insured as well. Is we do. Correct? We have, in California, it's called a Noxkeen license. Okay. Um, and we have a full Noxkeen license, which means we could sell insurance products to the community. We've chosen not to do that yet, but we do have the, the license. Uh, and we provide uh, insurance coverage for all of our employees. So they, they have an HMO insurance and they have EPO options as well. Okay. And our Scripps health plan provides the administration for that insurance for our employees. Great. And I think most of the audience will know what self-insured means, but would you mind sharing what self-insured means? Self-insured means yeah. that we are paying the bill. So instead of going out and hiring an insurance company, paying them a premium, and that insurance company goes at risk, being self-insured means we provide all of the financial support for those that patient care. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. You've been a wealth of information today. Uh, before today's show, Chris was actually out at another event uh, so he's already been on the road. We're recording uh, early to mid-morning here uh, at Scripps, right here in Chris's lovely office. Chris, as we head out from the show today, one of the things you're known for, and there's even a chapter in your book about storytelling. Uh, again, folks, if you haven't read his book, The Frontline Leader, it's a great read. Uh, whether you're a member of the San Diego community or a leader in any type of organization, I encourage you to check it out. Chris may not remember, but probably about four years ago up in L.A. at the California Endowment, he was at an event and he did a book signing and we had our Pop Health podcast booth. I was actually in a suit 
uh, for that event, uh, as requested by the... Uh, I do remember that now. <laughs> by the founder of the event. Uh, he asked that I wear a suit because I was on a panel and it was uh, a lot of executives in the room. Today I'm wearing a t-shirt, by the way. And Chris, and uh, thank you to Mike from Scripps as well, Mike Godfrey, for allowing me to wear a t-shirt uh, at your prestigious organization. He is totally fine with it. I'm just giving him a hard time. But uh, yeah, Chris actually has been on the show before uh, for a quick soundbite. But uh, in the book, you talk about stories. And as we leave today's show, can you share with the audience maybe a story that really stands out to you in your experience at Scripps and is meaningful to you? Let me preface that by telling you why I tell stories. Um, When we get our big management group together, uh, maybe I've always told stories, but when we get our big management group together, we talk about the business of healthcare. Um, And my chief medical officer years ago said, you know, there's something missing in our meeting. And he was right. And it was the patient. And so now when we get all of our managers together, we always bring a patient to that um, to that meeting. And we start with them telling us about their experience with us and their doctor talking about their medical conditions. Um, It changes the tenor of the meeting completely because, again, we are in the business of taking care of all of our patients one at a time. And sometimes when you talk about the business of healthcare, you kind of forget about the patient, sadly. So I'll tell you a story about Miranda. Uh, Miranda has given us permission uh, to tell her story. Miranda was going to have uh, her first child. Uh, and uh, as I understand the, the story, she was going to have it at home, but made a decision at the last minute not to do that. That decision, uh, to be honest with you, saved her life. So she came into our, our hospital, in this case, Scripps uh, Memorial Hospital in Sanitas. Uh, she was being very carefully monitored by the clinical staff, and they picked up an abnormality in her monitors. Um, nurse called the doc, and the doc says, I think we better deliver this baby. As they started to move her uh, to an operating room, in this case, to deliver her child, she went into seizures. By the time she was in the operating room, she was in full cardiac arrest. As I recall now, about 27 doctors, nurses, technicians of every kind obviously swarmed in, um, in, a, in that kind of a situation. Uh, respiratory therapists doing cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR on her. They did a crash C-section and delivered this baby in just a matter of minutes. But she was bleeding to death. Um, she, I think, went through about 25 units of blood, about 40 different kinds of medications uh, to get control of her. Um, they, they got her heartbeat back, put her in an induced coma, and put her in the intensive care unit. Three days later, they brought her out, and she wasn't showing a whole lot of emotion. There was some concern that perhaps she sustained some brain damage as a result of the cardiac arrest. Uh, put her in a wheelchair, decided to show her baby her, uh, for the first time, who was in the nursery, obviously. And, and it so happened my wife was volunteering that day with our Labrador retriever, uh, a therapy dog. And as Miranda was being pushed by her in a wheelchair, she looked at the dog and my wife and screamed. First emotion she had shown. My wife stopped and said, I'm sorry, are you afraid of dogs? And Miranda said, no, it just struck me that, you know, our, our dog died this last week. And she goes, and, and not, not only did our dog almost, uh, die, but my husband almost lost his wife and his unborn child in the very same week. But because of all of you, I'm going to see my baby for the very first time. Now, Miranda had uh, sustained an amniotic fluid embolism, where the amniotic fluid had gone into her bloodstream, caused an allergic reaction, uh, preventing her from clotting. It's uh, virtually 100% fatal outside of the hospital, 80 to 90% fatal in the hospital. And so she miraculously survived. Cool part of the story is that her husband, uh, Bryce, was so impressed by what he saw, the, the health care that was delivered, the, the professionalism of the doctors, the nurses, and all the support team, that he sold his business, got a job at Scripps, 
took advantage of the scholarship programs we offer, uh, became an RN, and now is a charge nurse in the same hospital and I think at one point in the same unit that saved his wife's life, which shows, number one, that kind of uh, health care that we uh, deliver and other health care organizations do. We're very blessed in this community to have great health care, uh, but also the impact we make in the community in terms of providing jobs and the economic power of our organizations. And so Bryce is still with us today. Um, he's a great nurse. Miranda, uh, I think Van now is about 11 years old, is a you know great young man that's growing up. Miranda formed a foundation and now speaks about her condition uh, across the country and has even served as a member of one of our boards. So wow. it's just, that's what we do uh, every single day. And I'm proud of what Scripps does. Awesome, Chris. Well, Chris Van Gorder has been our guest uh, to learn more about Scripps and the Scripps Health System. Uh, Chris, what's the best way for folks to learn more about uh, Scripps? Well, uh, certainly you can always contact us uh, through the uh, internet, and that's www.scripps.org. People are always welcome to contact me and our organization if they ever have questions around you know, what we do, how we do it, if you're interested in working for us, and certainly if you're interested in making a donation to help other patients, uh, we're always uh, able to be contacted. Great. And then for if you're on social media... So at Scripps Health on any social channel. We have Anne-Marie in the room today from uh, the Scripps social media team. So great to have her here as well. And just want to give a quick thank you to Mike Godfrey, Chris Van Gorder, uh, Pamela, your assistant, for setting all of this up. You welcomed us warmly. We had three people, uh, my colleague Michael and I, Michael and I, excuse me, uh, had three different people ensure we were had plenty of fluid, water, coffee. It was a great welcome. Uh, I feel very comfortable here. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. Again, folks, to learn more about Scripps, go to scripps.org. And there's a lot of different ways to reach out to Scripps, uh, which is one of the leading organization, uh, healthcare organizations here in San Diego County. Folks, if you like today's show and want to learn more about Pop Health Podcast and listen to other episodes, check out pophealthpodcast.com. Or you can search iTunes and find us by searching Pop Health Podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or Stitcher. Thanks, everyone. Take care.